Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Collateral Damage. I'm here with my co-host, Maureen Cavanaugh, and I think today uh, we want to we chat a little bit about some topics that uh, you and I have been debating in the background, Maureen. I know, I know uh, you just brought up uh, relapse. Yeah. Relapse, uh, uh, is it a part of recovery? And I, I actually see this, I see this on a lot of posts. Um, and, and I've actually seen, I think it's like, a, I think it's put in there to, to make people feel comfortable and less afraid that if a relapse happens, that it's like part of the recovery process. But I also think on the other side of that, that it gives people permission <laughs> uh, or, you know, promotes it that you're still actively in recovery, even if you're relapsing. And I, I don't know. I mean, what do you think about it? I think that on, so we don't want anybody to say, well, I relapsed. That's it. I'm done. I'm just right. going to keep doing this. Right. So I understand, you know, and, and people do relapse and then get back on their feet again. Mm -hmm. But there are people out there that don't relapse. And I think that we have to stop saying that. And mm. I think a really, um, my daughter's the one that made me realize that because um, everybody was telling her, she's going to all these places, relapse is part of the disease, relapse mm. is part of the disease. And so she was consistently like relapsing over and over again. And we thought it's just part of the disease. And meanwhile, at this point, she's overdosing and she could have died at any point, but mm. she kind of understood that she was going to continue to relapse. And that's just how this works. Right. Until um, Nicole White up at the process. Okay. Yep. Pulled her aside and said, Kitty, it doesn't have to be though. Mm. You don't have to keep doing this. Relapse does not have to be part of your disease anymore. Mm. And then after that, she, Katie started to get mad when people would say that. Even though she was relapsing, she was realizing, I think, for the first time that that did not need to be part of her story, this constant relapsing. And so, so by using it, by, by saying relapse is part of recovery or that it's part of the journey, it's almost like... Um, it's, it's almost like you don't have anything to strive not to do. It's just like, it, it's okay. It's still part of it. I, I don't, I, from the, from the person who's recovering from that perspective, I can definitely see that hearing that it, it's not supposed to be part of recovery, that you need to protect against it. You need to defend against it. You need to fight for your life to try to make sure it doesn't happen. Right. Because uh, we're losing people mm -hmm. in that process. Right. So it, it, it may happen that you may relapse and that's unfortunate, but mm -hmm. You know, and you, but you, I always tell people you've learned so much in this whole process, bring that with you and let's not do, you know, let's not have you relapse again. That doesn't right. to happen again. So it's not like you're going to keep doing this. This is not a, um, you know, th this is not your story for the rest of your life. You're going to keep coming in and out of recovery. There's mm. so many people <clears throat> like yourself. I mm -hmm. mean, you know, that relapse at this point is not part of, of your story. And I hope so, it never is. So relapse was part of my addiction. So my active addiction was full of relapse. And, and actually, I wouldn't even say it was full of relapse. It was full of, um, you know, attempts, yeah. uh, attempts at sobriety. So I would make a lot of, I guess they were false promises to myself. I'm not going to say that I was making false promises to other people because more often than not, they were sincere. I had a sincere desire to change the thing that was happening to me, uh, but I couldn't. And so, you know, I would make a lot of promises to myself, like the night before, oh, this is it. I'm done. I'm not going to use anymore. I only got enough for today. That's it. You know, Friday's coming. I'm going to take the weekend detox and then I'm going to go back to work on Monday and pull myself together. And so I had a lot of these, 
um, they weren't necessarily relapse. They were like failed attempts or, or, or I went into detox and maybe I wasn't truly committed to actually changing. I just wanted to get off the drugs and get back to work or get back to my girl or get back to my kids. Um, and so it was, you know, relapse wasn't part of my recovery process. Nowhere in my recovery. So I chose the 12 steps when I got well and nowhere in that process does it suggest that relapse is part of that journey. As a matter of fact, the journey is about self-discovery and self-improvement and, you know, learning to understand why I think and feel the way I do and overcoming those things. But nowhere in that recovery journey is relapse a part of it. Yeah. Uh, relapse means that I missed something. Relapse means that I need to go back and try to try to fix it again. But it doesn't need to be part of the journey. And right. if, if I was told it was, I probably would have... Um, felt a little bit more like it was kind of okay to relapse. I guess. Right. A little bit of softening the language. You sure. know? Yes. Yes. <laughs> but matter of fact, I mean, if we're talking about language, relapse is one of those words that people are trying to change as well, right? Oh, a reoccurrence of symptoms. Yeah. That's correct. Yeah, yes. You're right. You're right. Yeah. And that, that does, that does scare me a little, a lot. Well, it, I mean, it's, isn't a, it's like deadly, you know, and people are dying of this and mm -hmm. you can't, I mean, relapse, if even another um, addiction, alcohol, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. When you're drinking and you're drinking to the extent that you have to go to detox and, and, it's, and it's bad and, mm -hmm. and serious, if you pick up a drink and you drink for 24 hours, and as long as you don't get in the car, that's unfortunate. It's not the same with opioids. Mm -hmm. That first shot could be your last one. That's true. You know, so it's, um, I don't think... It worries me that we're 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 saying things like this. So Although, relapse is a big scary word to watch out for and defend against. I agree. Recurrence of symptoms sounds a little softer and a little bit. Well, it's just I just had a a recurrence. So it's, it's okay. Right. I am more and okay with that if I if I'm eating a donut and I shouldn't be eating a donut, which I've had a recurrence of that symptom of overeating. I have that quite a bit. That's I get that one. <laughs> I had two muffins yesterday, so. Yes. I you had a recurrence of your symptoms of liking of my needs yeah. for sugar when I yeah. have a bad day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'm okay with that. But when I when we're talking about something as serious as um, as heroin addiction, I think we need to tell people that it doesn't need to be part of their story. That and, and and if they do have you know if they do fall off and and they can use all of that information and hopefully build on it to never have another relapse ever again. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, that's where we're losing, we're losing people in the relapses because they don't have mm -hmm. the tolerance that they had before. And, um, and they, you know, they run across some fentanyl and that they weren't and they think they're doing less and they're actually doing fentanyl mm -hmm. and they're dying. Right. So I'm not a big fan of the softening of that. Well, and re I mean, relapse, as, as, as I understand it, is not just about the actual use, too. I mean, there's a process leading up to a relapse. Um, you know, the process leading up to a relapse is that you relapse into an old way of thinking. You fall back into an old way of thinking prior to ever picking up the substance. I mean, I don't know anyone that just tripped and slipped and fell and landed in a pile of dope. Right. You know, like people don't accidentally shoot heroin or cocaine. There's a, you know, there's a process leading up to that where we uh, fall back into an old pattern of thinking where it's okay. We talk ourselves into it. We, you know, create some time where we're not going to be accountable. Then we have to call somebody and then we have to get it. I mean, to think that like, you know, you're in recovery and somebody says, hey, do you want to shoot heroin? And you're just like, sure. 
you know, that, that you're probably not actively in recovery because you don't even have the defense mechanism to say no, or you were in that situation in the first place. So maybe there's some more work that needs to be done, but you know, and the people, the people around <clears throat> tiptoe because they think they see a difference, but they don't, mm -hmm. they're not sure, but right. it's always the people around you always, they see the relapse before it even happens if they're mm -hmm. paying attention. And, um, and, and, you know, if you have people that are, that are, supporting you when you're in your recovery, mm -hmm. whether that's friends or family or spouse or whoever that is. I mean, they see it coming. And that's why I think it's really important to, I'm a big fan of talking about things when everything's great, right? you know, that um, you sit down and you make a plan for when those things happen, because I know, I know what my own child's relapse looks like, you know, and I know what it feels like too. For me, what it, I, I start to get afraid to, well, I used to anyhow, I don't anymore. I start to get afraid to talk about it. Like I see mm -hmm. her doing things and saying things and acting in a way that she acted before she relapsed. Uh, so yeah. we have, so we've talked about this. And when I start feeling like this, I just say, hun, this is what I'm saying. And, yeah. and what, you know, what do you think about that? And, it's happened, you know, in the past. And she's like, yeah, I got to go to the therapist three times this week or two times this week. I need to, uh -huh. to go for a run. I need to do something. I see it too. And, and then it's an open conversation. I don't expect that she's never going to start to drift a little bit or have a bad day where, you know, the answer seems to be to go backwards. But um, I think the not being able to talk about it and not, you know, is, is the problem because, Sometimes she doesn't, she didn't see it. And she, then it makes her think a little bit. And sometimes I'm wrong and she, uh -huh. she's just having a bad day, but we have like open communication. So I can, I can talk to her about this. And I think that's really important. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, even, even the, um, you know, what you were just bringing up the, your response, your, your traumatic response um, to uh, uh, familiar situations in the past, right? Mm -hmm. You know, this, this connection where in the past, those behaviors meant that there was something terrible coming yeah, or that there was something happening. And, you know, in the past you would bring it up and that conversation was full of lies and deception and, you know, misleading statements about what's actually happening. And then you'd walk away feeling confused and, you know, doubting yourself and what you, what you know is true and being like, wait, right. what? Um, but, you know, in recovery, I think a lot of parents like you just identified have this fear of even bringing up your concerns or sharing how you feel or what you're seeing for fear that you might push them over the edge or cause them to use or create a relapse. Uh, when in fact, the most important thing is to have open conversation. Um, and you know, sometimes it's not about, and I'll just say, you know, as a, as an addict myself, my, my family, like sometimes it wasn't about them coming and telling me, that they thought I was doing something wrong just because they were feeling the way they were feeling. But more importantly for them to come to me and just tell me how they were feeling so I could assess the situation and find out like, is this because of something I'm doing or um, is it just this, this is a result of, you know, 15 years of being an addict and right. you having a traumatic response to me having a bad day, like you just yeah. said, your daughter, which is that happens. We have bad days in recovery. Like we get right. well and don't come back and we're like, we're right. perfect. That's it. No more bad days. No more resentment. No more, you know, feeling feeling like uh, the world How is out awesome. to get us. And, I mean, we should all get well. You know, yeah. it's 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 easy. But you know, we come back and we still have bad days. We still are ourselves. We still are the person 
that we were when we were using. We're right. just, you know, we're just not using anymore and we're right. creating new life skills. So I think that open conversation you just talked about is critical because without right. it, you're just sitting around waiting until the wheels fall off and then you speak about it. And by then it's too late. And she understands that, of course, I have PTSD, you know? Certain yeah. things scare the hell out of me. She says something or does something that reminds me too much of, you know, what was going on 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And, um, and my heart is like, Oh my God, here we go again. You know? Mm-hmm. And um, it, I, I get to be, you know, unrealistic and, and wrong sometimes too. And she's, she's good. She's good now with that, but that's, that took years. That took mm-hmm. years, you know? And it doesn't, it's not going to happen overnight. But I think that talking about, you know, not necessarily with, with blame, you know, mm-hmm. it's just a reality. This is what happened. And this is how I feel. And this is what triggers me. Well, and nobody comes out unchanged. Absolutely not. You know, I, the, the, the analogy I give is, let's say you went to prison. Let's just say you, as whoever you are right now, whoever, as a listener or whatever, let's say you went to prison, Okay and you went to prison for 10 years, could you go to prison and come back out unchanged? Of course Absolutely. not. You'd have to change who you are. Your belief system would have to adjust a little bit. Your, your moral compass might lean to one side or the other uh, because of some of the things you have to do to survive, but you won't come out unchanged. Yeah. Okay? And you know we don't come back from our addiction unchanged. Families don't come back unchanged. It never goes back to the way it was. You can't come out after 10 years of prison and never you know, uh, it, you'll never go back to the way it was before that. You'll always be forever changed a little bit. Right. And, you know, the same could be said for you, the family members. Like, you're always going to forever be changed by this experience. It's never, you know, if you're always comparing it to the way it was before this thing happened, then you have an unrealistic set of expectations yeah, about what recovery should look like. And that's that's where a lot of, like, the anger and frustration and fear comes from for parents is that, you know, they're looking they're looking at what it was. I can't count how many people come in my office. Like, I just want my little girl back or my little boy back. And I'm, I hate to be the guy that says that that's just not, that's not going to happen. Right. You know, you're going to have a new relationship with this new person who has been, you know, somewhat changed uh, by this experience and you have been changed by it as well, which means it will never go back to the way it was, but you can have something new, something right. different, um, something as good, if not better. If not better. And I I tell you, the one thing that I found um, personally that has come out of this that I feel is um, for the positive is that I don't take anybody for granted. I don't take anything for granted. Mm -hmm. I, and I live in the moment now and I never, ever was able to do that. I was always like six years off and five years from now. And what happened yesterday and two years ago, and I don't do that anymore because I, every day that I have the people I love around me and that, and life is good, you know, and that's really all that matters. And um, that's today because I could be, you know, I could have a massive stroke tonight and I'm not even here tomorrow. So what am I worried about that? Well, don't, don't do that. No, I promise. (laughs) All right. No more donuts. No more muffins. No. So, I mean, so one good thing definitely came out of that. Definitely came out of that. I would say that I, I feel like in recovery, I have, all right. Well, so in my active addiction, I couldn't be around anybody. Um, I couldn't have actual relationships with people. I had, uh, I was living a, another life. You know, I was living this alternate second life, uh, you know, with my other family of addicts and alcoholics where we did what we did in the background and my family really knew nothing about me or who I was or, 
what I believed in or what I liked. Um, and because I couldn't get close to them because if I did, they'd try to stop me. And so in recovery, uh, I have a relationship with my father. Um, I have a relationship with my mother and my siblings. I'm a parent. I'm an employee. I'm an employer. Um, I'm here talking to, to you. You and are. the only reason I can do these things is because I'm well. So that means that every relationship I have now is better than the relationships I've had before. And, 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 and even, even going back, like as a teenager, cause that's the only thing that my parents could, could look back to is that the relationship they had with me as a confused teenager who was an addict, um, that wasn't something they'd want back either. There was nothing to get back. <laughs> yeah, we had to start from scratch. Yeah. And I think a lot of this is like, you know, sometimes these families, they, they don't even know what a new relationship would look like or could look like. Yeah. How, how do I love somebody that's so potentially dangerous? Yeah. I actually, one of the questions I heard was, how do you hug, how do you, how do you hug and love a porcupine? Very, very carefully. <laughs> Have you ever seen a porcupine's face? Like they are adorable creatures, right? Like, so everybody thinks of the outside spiny, you know, like they can, they can hurt you. But like when you flip that little guy over and he looks at you, they're adorable. <laughs> you know, they're a lovable little creature. <laughs> and the same could be said for us addicts. You know, we might be, you know, it seems like we're dangerous and we're covered in these, uh, you know, potentially dangerous spikes, but we're lovable little creatures underneath. And of course, as moms and dads, you already know that, but you'll never get that relationship back. So it's, it's something no, it's new and, and relapse. Crazy. Relapse is always a fear that's on the horizon, right? Like always. even if it's not for the addict or alcoholic, it is for the family. Yeah, always. I mean, when does that go away? Never. <laughs> right. <laughs> Never. I mean, for me, I don't think about it. I don't think about relapse. I'm not fighting a relapse daily. It's not part of my recovery process like you and I just said. I think once right. you get to a certain point, it's not part of recovery. I shouldn't expect a relapse down the road. A relapse is not an acceptable part of my recovery process. Mm -hmm. If I relapse, it's because I have um, stopped doing something. I stopped focusing on my recovery. I stopped putting my recovery first. I stopped doing something that led me back to that place. Right. That's not a part of my recovery. That's a part of my active addiction coming back into my life. Yeah. And I think a family goes through a recovery process too. And I know that when she was in, in active addiction, and I was actively insane. <laughs> <laughs> you were, yes. I was. Um, I, I think that every moment, even if she had two days where she wasn't using, I was just waiting for the next relapse. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't do that you know, now. I mean, is it in my head that I know people that have you know, gone years and then relapsed and, and it's heartbreaking and that's, that's unfortunate. So, so it's not out of my mind completely, but mm -hmm. I don't think about it on a daily basis. I mean, well, you can't, can't focus on that because then you'd lose but I know people the good. That do. Yes. You miss out on all the good and mm -hmm. all the wonderful. And I mean, I don't know. And you know, it's not easy. I don't want to take anything away from her by sitting there waiting for her to fail either. I think that's very unproductive. Of course it is. Well, if you're spending, you know, if you're, if your new relationship with your child or loved one is spending all of your time trying to identify the next relapse, or spending all of your time assessing or evaluating their behavior and their oh mindset and trying to determine when you can stop the next relapse. Let me be the guy that tells you, you can't stop the next relapse. You can be prepared to respond to it, mm -hmm. right? You can understand the illness and be you know, prepared to respond to it, but the odds that you will be able to identify it and get in the way and stop it from happening is extremely unlikely. 
And I'm just telling you that from the, from the end of being the addict, I can tell you oh, yeah. if it gets to that point where I've already fallen into that way of thinking, yeah, you're not going to stop it from happening. You right. might get to respond to it, but you're not going to stop me. I think you're um, right. And so if you're, if you're spending all your time trying to identify that, then what you're not doing is spending any time participating in that person's recovery or rebuilding your relationship or getting close enough to actually enjoy some time with them. Yeah. You know, and, that and that's, but that takes time too. You know, if even for the family, it takes time to be to get to that point. I think it was like about a year, and I started mm-hmm. to really relax, you know, and enjoy. And then in the second year, I think I've, I think that you know, I feel like I've gotten a better version of my daughter back. She's amazing. She's mm. I, I can't I I don't know. She's I'm in awe of people that come out the other side of this, and then uh, and especially her because. She's mm-hmm. awesome fabulous human being in the entire world but um wait your daughter is yes oh okay all right <laughs> just so you're wondering in case you were looking for that person it's my daughter <laughs> I've, oh i've heard it a lot but i've just not now i've identified who it actually is so <laughs> but i'm i'm pretty impressed with her she's i think she's amazing mm-hmm. um but i i get to i get to enjoy that now and i don't think about you know if this could be over at any moment i might as well i need to enjoy every second of it which was more in the beginning you know what i mean like even when i was enjoying myself with her mm-hmm. i was just trying to soak it up because i was afraid it was going to be over now i'm just like well this is life and look what a wonderful person she's turned into and i'm really proud of her it's a new normal yeah right like you you, you know a lot of people are comparing the chaos of addiction to an old normal and when in fact, what you're striving for is a new normal yeah. where, you know, where you understand the fact that, excuse me, you understand the fact that, um, you know, there could be, there could be pitfalls, um, you know, where she understands the fact that, uh, or like I do, understanding the fact that we created the, the traumatic responses our family is experiencing. And it's up to us to, you know, be consistent in our recovery and to be transparent and open and honest to try to help them heal uh, and that it's your responsibility to do the same. Right. You know, and vice versa. Absolutely. Consistent, transparent, and honest right. about how you feel so that we can get well too. Like if you look at this as a family illness, then it requires family recovery. You can't just expect your loved one to go to treatment and come back. And after the whole family system has changed and adjusted and evolved uh, to, to deal with the addiction that now the person comes back and because they're not using everything should go back to the way it was. It's, it's not how this works. Right. Um, it, it takes a lot of work on both sides and, and the people I've seen that do well recognize that the families that I've seen actually heal are the, the fam where the family members have gone um, and utilized services like, you know, the support group over at Magnolia new beginnings or, you know, go to learn to cope and, you know, or actually seek out, you know, individual uh, uh, therapists or Mm -hmm. family coaches, people that can help them understand and learn and, you know, learn about their loved one's recovery process, learn about the role they play in it, the things they can and can't do to help them. Yeah. I mean, I'm a, I'm a dad. I want to think that I can do everything to help my kids, but there are some things I don't play a role in. Uh, Life has to teach some lessons or somebody else needs to do it. Uh, And so when the family learns that and the individuals in recovery, and everyone's trying to get well together, that's the best chance for success. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree. So yeah, it's, it's really kind of amazing, but so you guys can relapse too. 
Oh, I, right? and you, I have, you, yeah. You have family members out there. You, you yeah. all can relapse. You can relapse into an old way of. Yeah, you know uh, what my relapse looks like? You, she doesn't it? answer the phone. And then I call her over and over and over and over again. <laughs> yeah, that's. <laughs> Where not, are you? And, yeah. um, you know, then I, and I've done that in the pen, not in a while, but, and then she had been sleeping or something mm. like, you know, but I, it was one night when I, I had a bad dream and I woke up and at eight o'clock in the morning called her and she didn't answer and then started calling her over and over again. Mm. And she then scared the life out of her because she thought something was wrong. Mm. And um, then I was like, I had this dream and this happened and that happened. And then you didn't answer the phone. And she was far long enough in her recovery that she said, mom, it's okay. I'm fine. I was sleeping instead of getting mad, which mm -hmm. is probably what would have happened, you know, a long time ago so would have, not even true like she would have been using and she would have been i'm fine for god's right. sakes leave me alone you know so well, i almost feel like you know we started this conversation off with the, the question about is relapse a part of recovery and i would have to say that based on what you just said for families maybe it is you know for families relapsing into that old way of behavior and then getting consistent confirmation that it's not what you feared it was yeah that is part of your recovery process. And it's not life-threatening that you relapse into an old way of behavior because it doesn't lead to shooting fentanyl or heroin or you know some other uh, life-threatening drug. Like you're, but you're if you relapsing that, into an old You can drive your family away. You can drive the person that you love away because they're trying to maintain their sobriety and they don't need that. Right. <laughs> you know? Well, but I mean, some of it you can't help. I mean, if, if I... It, all right, let's say that... Uh, uh, out of every 10 times I see you, I, uh, I slap you in the face seven out of 10 times. Okay. That means that sometimes I don't do it. And, you know, sometimes it might happen three times in a row where it doesn't happen. And so all of a sudden you get comfortable and then boom, here comes that other one. And then seven more times you get it. And mm -hmm. so imagine seven out of 10 times I slap you in the face. When are you going to get comfortable enough to suggest or to, to say that you're not worried that I'm going to slap you in the face? Mm -hmm. It's not up to you. I've created by doing that. Right. Us together. There's now a, a traumatic response that's not necessarily up to you. Right. Right. Um, where you're going to uh, um, cringe or, or, or in fear, uh, wondering if it's going to happen. And so if I move my hand in front of you, you have a response that's not necessarily up to you. And a lot of families have that same thing. Like they've been they've been hit seven out of 10 times. Right. And, you know, so every time something like that comes up creates an emotional response. The question is, what do you do with it, right? right? Do you bring it to the addict or alcoholic that is having the behavior? They might not be able to help you process it. Even their truth might not be enough to make you believe it because right. their truth before was not the truth, right. <laughs> right? So, you know, maybe the appropriate response to a relapse isn't to bring your concern to that person, right? But maybe it's to bring it to a peer. Right. Um, or, or to reach to, out and get help. To right. a group or to an online group. I know Magnolia is 24 hours a day. You can get somebody right. to come back to you with some advice and tell you how to calm yourself down or process that particular feeling that you're having. But well, this is what I'm hoping to do with the family coaching. Mm. This is exactly what I want to do because I, I, I had friends and people that I could trust and I had a therapist. But I, to bring that to because, you know, it's not always, like you say, you don't always realize you're even doing it, but mm -hmm. some of it you can't process with this person because you're burdening them with your own stuff. Well, they also can't fix it for you. Right. Like even if they're not doing it, them saying they're not doing it sometimes isn't enough. Right. You've heard that a million times. I'm not doing it. And you're like, uh, do I believe it this time? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's true.
So we have to, we have to get ourselves well too. So what would that look like? I mean, if you were, you know, if you were coaching a family, I mean, the, the, what, what would that look like? I mean, is that something you framed up yet? Well, I mean, I think that families need to understand that ultimately this is not our disease. It's not our choice and we can't control what they're going to do. Mm. We can't. I mean, we can be the stable, steady source of love and support, right. which I think everybody needs. Every child needs, every person needs, you know, everybody needs somebody mm-hmm. that they can, that loves them regardless of what they do. Right. So, I mean, and I loved my daughter when she was stealing all my jewelry and she was, uh, you know, running amok. I, I still loved her. Mm-hmm. I couldn't let her in my house anymore, but mm-hmm. I still loved her. So I think people need to understand that there's what you can do and what you put early, what you said earlier, and this is part of it, you know, mm-hmm. and if you're watching them for the relapse and it's making you crazy, then you need to get less crazy because ultimately you have nothing to do with that. You know, you, and you need to get in, in your, your, um, in your mind, what you can and cannot do. And well, what if you you're, do is let them know that you're, they're loved. And what you can't do is stop, stop that relapse. Right. Well, if you're letting them or their illness make you crazy, then you're becoming useless to them. Absolutely. Right. Cause there's nothing more useless than a crazy parent running around with their addict you know, uh, trying to, trying to manage an unmanageable, uh, addiction issue, you know, right. they're, they're lost in it as well. And they're just as desperate and just as confused about what needs to happen. Oh, tell I, your bird thing. Tell your bird thing. The, the murmuration. Yes. <laughs> I love <yes>. that. <laughs> uh, so in a book called loving lions, yes. uh, there's a chapter about uh, murmuration. This is the, um, the starling, uh, which is a, uh, the, the birds that fly in these patterns, you know, these fingerprint patterns up in the sky. And um, I actually saw recently someone got a picture of those starlings uh, flying in the pattern of a bird, which was pretty Oh, wow. Uh, That's very cool. cool. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the, the uh, scientists believe that these birds communicate to the seven closest birds to them. And so they, you know, I I wondered how, you know, in this huge flock of birds, how are they flying in this pattern? Is there a leader? Is there, you know, how are they doing this? Uh, um, And so it turns out that they believe that each bird communicates with the seven closest birds to that bird um, and so on and so on. And that's how they communicate through this, this huge pattern of birds to, uh, to avoid uh, a a predator uh, like a falcon or a hawk or something like that. And um, so I identified this little seven bird group as a family, you know, and um, so in this uh, uh, in this murmuration, if one of these birds was to start spinning out of control and that caused the other seven birds to spin out of control, then the entire murmuration could start to fall apart. Um, And that would only that's assuming that the other seven birds allowed that spinning bird to control their behavior. Right. So when you have an individual like myself spinning out of control within my family system, if everybody's spinning out of control with me and they're expecting me to stop first, that might be an unrealistic set of expectations. It's okay for me to be spinning out of control due to my illness. But if my family really wants to be there to support me and help me, spinning out of control with me does nothing for them. It it makes them ineffective. And so, you know, the idea of aligning yourself as a family system first, of going and getting you know, coaching, education, and aligning yourself as a family system and becoming a useful resource 
an effective family system that has healthy supports for your little bird that's spinning out of control, that's the trick, you know? I think that that, I, I think more than anything I've ever heard anybody say, that struck home with me the most because the, we were spinning out of control for a really long time. Mm. And as soon as we stopped spinning, mm -hmm. things got better. Of course. Not, not that your loved one will automatically get you. well. Yeah. yeah. No, this is before I ever met you too. So when you said that the first time, I was like, oh my God, I love that. Because it's just such a great visual, but it's so true. Mm -hmm. It's like, um, it's, it's everything I talk about in my book that, you know, all the crazy. Mm -hmm. And then you come, you come towards the end and you see me like starting the beginnings of me starting to pull it together and understand mm -hmm. that there's not, there, there's only so much I can do and everything changed. And it still, let's face it, is a matter of luck that she's still here because she could have overdosed at any point. So I don't want anybody to think that I think I have the answer, mm -hmm. but I know that regardless of, of what happened after I started to get myself under control, it got better for me. Mm -hmm. And that's the only thing I had any control over. Well, I mean, I if it, my family. If you, if you run with that analogy, I mean, the one thing I know about that little seven bird family is that if the other birds spin out of control, I guarantee that is not helping that one bird. No, it's, it wasn't But if they anybody. stop spinning, it's not a guarantee that that other bird will stop spinning, but it is a guarantee that the family system won't be spinning out of control. And if and when that other bird's ready for help, the family system will be more aligned and more capable and more ready to provide support than if they are also caught up in the chaos. And so, you know, to your point, you being there for your daughter, no, it wasn't a guarantee that by not spinning out of control with her, that she would get well. That's not right. the cause and effect there. But the cause and effect is that by getting into the chaos with her, you were no more effective at dealing with her issues than she was. Right. And, and she you were, of course, yeah. of course. I mean, my, I, I'll never forget, um, well, it's, it's a hazy memory, but I'll, ne I'll never forget uh, my mom consistently asking me what was wrong with me and what I needed to do to fix this. And, and I get that to a certain extent, you know, that, that the, the people in my life, my dad did it too, you know, they would come to me and they would ask me what's wrong. Sure. Why not? It's my, I'm the one that's doing it. They're like, what's wrong? What do you right. need? How can we help? Um, and because I had a very confusing understanding of what was wrong with me, I would give them my version. I would usually give them a version that was full of all the bad things that were happening and, you know, the symptoms it's like, well, you know, because I'm, because I'm still on probation and I don't have my license and, you know, my girl doesn't want to be with me and I'm broke and, you know, I just feel really shitty about the way you guys, uh, uh raised me or, you know, something like that. I'd hand them a nice big old plate of symptoms. And they'd be like, all right, well, you know, maybe we can work on these together. And if we can work on these together, would that work? And I'm like, I, I think so. Yeah, maybe. Let's try that, you know? <laughs> and so we'd get, we'd get all caught up in playing a game of whack-a-mole to address the symptoms, right? Because that's all I know. Like when you have the flu, how do you know you have the flu? Coughing, sneezing, you know, puking, all this other stuff. So like when someone's like, how do you feel? You know, I feel the flu. No, yeah. no, no, no. I feel the symptoms. And would you like relief for the flu? No, I really would like some relief for the symptoms. Um, <laughs> I would really like to not feel all these terrible things right now because that's how I see my illness. You know, yeah. I don't see it for the illness itself, but the symptoms. And so 
That's just how I explained it to people. And then my family would get insane with me trying to play that game of whack-a-mole and try to treat the symptoms and thinking that if we treated the symptoms, it would go away and it just wouldn't. Yeah. No matter how many of those problems we fixed <laughs> or how many bills got paid or you know how many cars I borrowed or how many jobs my family got me or how many times they apologized for how they raised me or the things they could provide or couldn't provide. No matter how many times that happened, not one of those was the reason I got well or the thing that helped me get well. Symptom relief. Right. That's yeah. crazy. That's crazy in a family system. And, and they, I, I get that. it because you want to, you want to help and you don't know what else to do hmm. because you're all focused on, on the person and, and, and making them stop. Mm -hmm. Or taking away their pain. I mean, who doesn't want to love the pain away? Who doesn't want to sit with the kid and say, just tell me what to do to make you feel better. I'll do anything. Yep. I mean, I, yes. I could, I could imagine myself doing that with my kids with a good tear going, you know, a good booger cry. I just want you to feel better and <laughs> I'll do anything. Yes. And you know, if my yep. kid's struggling with addiction and their all, their sole focus is on their own relief, then I could see them taking advantage of me. Yeah. And so it took a very long time before I got to the point where I knew what I would and wouldn't do. Mm -hmm. And I could say, I love you more than anything. And I'm here for you when you're ready for help. Mm -hmm. And that changed everything. I love you so much that I'm not going to get involved in this with you, but I will be here for you when you're ready. Right. And I will not do anything to contribute towards you killing yourself. Mm -hmm. Because I love you so much. Because I love you so much. Right. And that's, that's the shift. Like when we were talking earlier about, you know, what people can do, I think loving somebody appropriately Yes. You know, like we, to, we did the, the porcupine earlier, you know, and obviously I like the lion analogy. That's what my book is, you know, lo loving this dangerous thing, this potentially yes. dangerous thing. And, and not, not, it's, it's not trying to separate yourself from them or create distance from them because you don't love them, but it's because you love them so much that you want to find a way to be as close to them as you possibly can without letting them hurt you or do something unforgivable. Like I know, I know when little kids are sick, right? And they have, you know, a cold or whatever. Um, you keep you hug them, right? And you get the cold with them because <laughs> it just is what it is, you know. And 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 that's fine when it's just a cold, like right. a little kid cold, you know, a little runny yeah. nose, little sniffles. You go to work and you're like, oh yeah, my kid's sick. It's fine. I had to, you know, coughed in my face and uh, you know puked on my shirt, and now I'm sick. It's like that's that's parenting, right? Yeah. And I think we carry that on into this uh, uh, into this illness. And we're like, oh, it's the same thing. No, it's not. It's, it's totally different. Right. It can kill them and it can kill you. It can destroy a family system if you allow yourselves to get wrapped up in it. It's not like a runny nose or a couple of days that you have to take off from work because your little baby got you sick while you were holding it through this particular issue. Um, this, this is different. You know, you bring up a good point too about the guilt because mm -hmm. I, I don't think I've ever met a parent that didn't experience this. Where, where, when, when our, our person that's struggling is trying to, um, trying to get us to do things we know we shouldn't do, they always mm -hmm. bring up the bad parenting thing. What you could have been the perfect parent, and mm -hmm. there's this one thing that you did or didn't do, or one thing that happened that they'll say that's the reason why I have all these problems, mm -hmm. and then the guilt makes you want to do things 
that you want to fix something because now you're now you're responsible because we yeah. want to be we blame ourselves for everything anyhow right as a parent everything mm-hmm. that's that's wrong for them or everything that's not perfect is our right. fault anyhow but then we, it allows us to this is my fault now i have to do better so mm-hmm. i'm gonna now fix this because i'm the reason that they're like this and then that, i mean it's just not true but some powerful stuff when your kid puts it on you and you know you're like why do you have this issue and they're like well because of you you're like oh no because of the divorce yes the divorce did it yes caused all this meanwhile you know there's lots of people that that don't um oh yeah shoot heroin that their parents are divorced you know what i mean i definitely i threw that one at my parents they they got divorced when i was (laughs) i had a feeling you did yeah I was like, you did this. This is on you, not me. Good luck. And I mean, it's not even malicious. Like, I, you know, speaking from this end of things, I don't think it was malicious. I don't remember a time where I did it intentionally to hurt my mom or dad. I think I did it to, to defend where I was. I think I did it just maybe, maybe because I really didn't know, you know, like it was, it was kind of like they were coming in and, and I had a flat tire and they were trying to ask me which nail popped it. And I'm like, I don't know, it was, could have been that one over there or that pile of glass over there. I don't really know. Right. Uh, but you know, I do know that those a bunch of sharp objects back there. Um, maybe it was all of them. Right. I don't really know. And so it's, I feel like, you know, as a parent or a family member, when you come to that person, which is usually the first thing that you do, you go to that person. It's like, what's wrong? How can I help you? Um, I think once you've identified it as this particular illness, then you should stop doing that. Um, because the odds that they know what's wrong with them and that they know what they need to do to fix it is very low. Uh, and in fact, it's more likely that you would be the one to go out and research what needs to be done, how you can help them, what you could bring to the table for them and bring tools to them instead of asking them to tell you what they need. Yes. You know, bring the education to them, bring a, a solution to them and identify it for them instead of asking them to come up with it. Cause there's right. nothing worse than a family or like my family stepping in and saying, you need to pull yourself together or else. And I'm like, well, I've already tried to do that. So let's just get to, or else what's that look like? <laughs> you know, I, I've already, I, I already know I can't do it. So you telling and me or else shifts, right? It keeps yeah. changing. It keeps changing. This mm-hmm. is not. So I think the first thing you want to do when you realize this is going on in your family is to strengthen the family system. Just right. Learn about it. Yeah. And, and educate yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and, and accept, accept it. That, I mean, that's probably the hardest thing. Like I, I say, you know, there's this two to five year period for, for families when they find out before they come to terms with the fact that the illness even exists in the first place. Oh, I agree with you. Cause they want it to be everything else. They want it to be them. Matter of fact, I can't <laughs> count how many parents just want it to be their fault. Right. So they can they go can in and fix it. it and make it go right. away. You know, yeah, like tell, absolutely. just tell me what I did. I, I'll hurry, carry right now, I, whatever it is, I did it. I'll apologize for it. I'll own it. I'll fix it. I'll change it. I'll pay for it. I will take it back. I will what, what, yeah. just tell me. I always and, say that if somebody told us, you know what, if you just cut your arm off, this will all go away. I would which, go which arm? Drawer. I would yeah. go into the drawer, get a butter knife. Yeah. I would be there yeah. a spoon. I would cut yeah. it off. <laughs> I would have done anything, but that right. doesn't work. That's not how this works. Mm-hmm. It, it defies all your paternal instincts. But and you, but you start with that. That's the point. That, that's what I'm saying is that like when you first, the, the, the trouble accepting it for what it is, right. is when you sit down with professionals or you sit down with people who have decades of experience with this and they tell you what it is and they tell you what it's going to take to address it. Yet you go back and your loved one convinces you that it's not that thing or your denial kicks in and you don't want it to be that thing so bad 
yeah, that you start identifying it as something else. Right. That's what happens. They tell it us like it, it's something else. They tell us it's not true. And then, oh my God, I'm so relieved because I thought that it was true. But if you say it's not true, mm-hmm. then it mustn't be true. And now I can relax and I don't mm-hmm. have to worry about it anymore. Right. And there's a learning curve there. I mean, for, for parents and families, that's why I say it's like two to five years, you know, it could be, could be faster. It could take longer, but you know, there's a chunk of time there where people are going to live in denial. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to struggle to accept the illness for what it is. They're going to want it to be something else. Somebody's going to tell them it's something else. They're going to try to treat it like it's something else right up until they realize what it is. And the sooner they realize what it is, the sooner that they accept it for what it is, the sooner that they can treat it appropriately the sooner they can become a loving, supportive system for their loved one um, and they can stop um, spinning out of control, right? I agree completely. I I agree that you agree. We all agree. (laughs) (laughs) How could you you disagree? (laughs) I couldn't disagree. That's true. That's true. Oh, God help everybody that's going through this. That's all I have to say. This is not easy. It is not. It's a nightmare that, I mean, it is, it is, it's terrible to get into. It's terrible to get out of. It's, it's terrible to learn that you can't fix it. It's terrible to realize it's, it's out of your hands. It's, it's terrible to learn that you have to completely let go of some of the ideas about what you thought things would be like. That's very hard. And, you know, even though I say that I don't want anybody to think that they have to, that relapse has to be part of their disease um, and part of their process, if they, you know, if it happens, you can get back on the, on the, on the horse again. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be the end of everything. And I just hope that, you know, I really kind of try, try to drive home with parents not to ever give up hope mm-hmm. and for anybody, even on themselves. Don't give up hope because I have seen some <clears throat> amazing turnarounds as mm-hmm. you have, I'm sure too. Absolutely. <clears throat> well, I mean, you, the, the, you know, the idea of relapse is there are so many people who, you know, when they relapse, they don't come back. So promoting it as a part of recovery in that capacity, it's just a bad idea, you know, but it definitely, I've also seen relapse uh, be the thing that pushed somebody back into their recovery process. You know, they start the recovery process, they relapse because they thought they had the ability to do it. And if they survive the relapse, mm-hmm. all right, and let's not, let's not minimize what a relapse is. It's a dangerous thing. Right. If they survive the relapse and they come back, sometimes it can be the thing that pushes them, that propels them forward and drives them deeper into their recovery process because now, now they, they once again realize how dangerous this illness is. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I just, I, I can't get behind the, some of the softening of some of the language, like just the recurrence of symptoms sounds so casual um, and, and less significant. But again, I'm an addict in recovery. And so for me, the language on my end feels different and it means different things. So, um, well, and you know how I am about language. I'm very like careful about how I say things, but that also worries me too. Mm-hmm. You know, well, it really bothers me because I don't want it. You can come back from anything, but I don't, I, I don't think we should make this, you know, something that's expected. If we soften too much of the language, we take away some of the scary elements of it, right? I mean, a relapse is a terrifying thing. It should be discussed as a terrifying thing, um, you know, and, and there are certain aspects of this, this discussion and this illness that if it gets too soft, I think we might end up losing people to it. Right. You know, it's everything else. Like, you know, whenever we talk about other, other things in the country, um, you know, we throw big scary words on it to get people to take action. 
Um, you know, we drive, we drive the country um, uh, to take action by talking about things as big and dangerous to get people motivated to, to, to get them out there. And, you know, there are certain elements of this particular illness that I think we're softening to the point where um, we might be doing the opposite of that. You know, we might, we might actually be creating too soft of a language and, you know, stopping people from taking action. That's just my opinion. No, and, I agree with you. Know, you. I agree with it's, you. It's definitely a, another topic for another podcast, but because uh, <laughs> that one, I, I'd want to have a guest on for that. I think there's some people out there that are, you know, have made it their mission to, uh, to change the language. Right. And, you know, I'd love to hear their perspective and, you know, no, your perspective as a mom, my perspective as a person in recovery, and let's see where everybody lands. Let's do that. We should do, do that. that. Yeah. We should. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I would like to thank all of our listeners for joining us today on this episode of Collateral Damage. As always, if you'd like to find out all of the different ways that you can listen to and subscribe to our podcast, you can visit our website, which is www.cdpodcast.com. There are many different ways to listen, download, and subscribe. So we encourage you to choose the one that is most appropriate for you. And as always, we would encourage our listeners to get informed and stay connected. Thank you for joining us.